Welcome to the Doug and Birch Legal Visionaries Podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack. Welcome to today's episode of Legal Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news, as well as evolving methods of providing legal service. I'm Mary Vandenack, your host as we talk to experts from around the country about legal and tax issues, trusts and estates, business succession, exit planning, law practice technology, management, and leadership. First of all, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Foster Group, Veterans Victory Housing and Business Centers, and Carson Private Client. Here's a message from Interactive Legal. Technology has become an essential part of our daily lives. However, not all fields have embraced technology. Lawyers, especially estate planning attorneys, need to stay up to date with specific laws and any issues affecting taxes and wealth preservation. Implementing an automated drafting system can help lawyers spend more time with their clients and less time doing back office tasks. Estate planners and law professionals turn to Interactive Legal as their main resource for the latest planning strategies. Interactive Legal provides the most comprehensive productivity system on the market with an easy-to-use document drafting system, extensive continuing education, thought-provoking discussion forums, and more. With Interactive Legal, attorneys get to spend more time with their clients. It's time to connect, collaborate, and create. To learn more about Interactive Legal, visit interactivelegal.com. Wealth planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets. But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business, resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth, giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. On today's episode, my guest is Vincent Thomas. Vincent Thomas is a partner at Young, Conaway, Stargat, and Taylor LLP. I asked Vince to participate in this episode to discuss a topic titled, What is a Silent Trust and Why Does It Matter? We are going to do a second episode that will talk about how to convert what he calls, and I love this term, allow trust to a silent trust. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, Mary. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to be here. And I, I don't say this lightly. It's quite an honor to be invited to speak speak with such an esteemed member of our uh, National Trust and Estates Bar. So thank you very much. And I'm honored to be here. I appreciate that. Can we start by just explaining to our audience, what do you mean when you refer to a silent trust? Yeah, a silent trust, or sometimes called a quiet trust, is a trust where the trustees and other fiduciaries have no obligation to provide any information to beneficiaries concerning the trust or its assets. 
Uh, so that's a it's a pretty unique structure. I would say the default in many jurisdictions is that notice must be required in some fashion, which I'm sure we'll talk about today. So who uses silent trusts? Well, it's often clients who are concerned with the un unintended consequences of providing beneficiaries. So often young children or other descendants with information concerning their status as a beneficiary of a, maybe a particularly large trust um, or information about the assets within the trust. So could you give me an example of where a silent trust might provide a client a solution? And I'm thinking, is that a possible solution where we say we have a business owner with really young children and maybe it doesn't make sense to disclose the details of a sophisticated estate plan? Would that be a place? And can you clarify that? Yeah, I think that's a perfect place. I think, as you know, and as we all know, as estate planners, we're looking usually for strategies to move assets out of a taxable state into a vehicle that's not taxable for state tax purposes. So let's take, you know, common business owner, maybe self-made. Um, I'll use a trash company example. We have some clients in that space. And maybe the client comes to you, has $100 million trash company business and has two young kids that are eight and nine and we're convincing that client to maybe do slats or sale to an intentionally defective grant or trust and have the kids and, and maybe others, maybe the spouse, or maybe we have the spouse contributing for this particular client, uh, along with other beneficiaries that are minors. And the client has concerns about notifying those beneficiaries. And maybe we're moving a significant part of the business. Maybe it's a minority interest in the business, call it 49% uh, to take advantage of minority discounting in the estate plan. And the client starts to ask questions. Well, well, as soon as I move these assets over, what happens? Do I have control? Do I have to provide notice? Do I have to give the beneficiaries information concerning the business? And in most jurisdictions, or if not all jurisdictions, the default is yes, he would have to provide information to the beneficiaries upon reaching the age of majority. And in most states, that's 18. So in those situations, uh, silent trust is a perfect solution so that the client can do their estate planning, move the assets into a trust, and still preserve the privacy that they're looking to preserve. So that 18-year-old where the trust is loud finds out at the age of 18 or whatever the age of majority is in the state that they're the beneficiary of $100 million of assets, and they're like, hey, Dad, I decided I'm not going to college. Exactly. I think that's what people are most worried about, right? So a client forms a trust when when you know little daughter is eight and little daughter is not so little anymore and becomes 18 in the blink of an eye. And, and now the trustee has to notify 18 year old daughter of the trust and not only the trust, but the assets, certain information concerning the assets. And as you say, does that disincentivize them from being what some would call productive members of society? So, hey dad, I'm not going to school anymore. I'm, I'm going to sit on the beach or do whatever else I like. And that's not uh, college or getting education and probably not what mom or dad wants. Or might also subject them to at a very vulnerable life age to being pursued by all kinds of people who might not really be that interested in who they are, but rather what they're potentially going to get. Any other examples you might want to share? Yeah, I think they all center around what you've 
what you've hit on here, which is unintended consequences of providing young beneficiaries with information. So maybe take what I'll call sort of quiet billionaire um, has generational money. Um, the kids know that they're wealthy and have been raised relatively wealthy, but have no idea on the magnitude of the wealth that their family has. And may, maybe they're already in college and they're productive members of society and they're doing great things. Um, and mom or dad feel concerned that, you know, if we tell them, hey, there's $3 billion in the trust, uh, that may change their outlook and how, how they're performing in college or the other things that they're pursuing. Uh, so in that situation, a silent trust or using a jurisdiction that allows for creation of a silent trust is a perfect solution, I think, in the short term. So there's various ways that duties to beneficiaries come about. And this particular duty in some states is common law. Can you explain, one, what you mean when you use the reference to common law? And second, what that duty to beneficiaries is pursuant to common law? Yeah, so I think we should, I should first start by saying, with respect to silent trusts or the ability to create silent trusts, all the states are very different. Even the UTC states are very different. And, and there really isn't any uniformity whatsoever across the states. You know, some states are similar, but a lot of differences. So the common law, you know, reflecting what's in the case law, uh, generally provides that there's a duty to notify. And I think all 50 states, if you think about the default principle, it's a duty to notify. Even in Delaware, where you, you can create a silent trust, if the trust is silent, and that's no pun intended, but if if the trust does not have any language making it a silent trust or overriding the trustee's duty to provide information, the default is information must be provided. So under the common law, generally speaking, the, the trustee has the duty to disclose the existence of the trust, the status as a beneficiary. So if a person is a beneficiary, letting them know the beneficiary's right to obtain further information upon request and significant changes in beneficiary status, significant changes in the trusteeship. And then they all, all also must promptly respond to reasonable requests and provide account, accountings on a, at reasonable intervals. So that's the general common law concept in, in most states. And so you mentioned that states vary a lot, and I think that's a super important point to make. So as somebody, you know, I do a lot of consulting. I always have learned like, and even in the same state, if I'm working in my home state, the state laws themselves change a lot because the trust laws have gotten fairly competitive. And so if I drafted a trust last year in state X and I'm working on one in that same state this year, I'm going to need to just check and make sure because that's how quickly this area has evolved. But can you, you mentioned Delaware and I think there's some Delaware case law on the duty to inform beneficiaries. Can you share some details on that? Yeah. I, I mean, first, the, the point you're making about the evolving statutory law is really important. Um, I would tell you, our, I, I'm the chair of our Notice Act committee here, and we're, we're updating our silent trust statute almost annually. And there's some new updates coming this year, and there have been the last two years. Um, there's been so much, I think, movement in the statutes here, really because clients are really eager to use these trusts. I mean, it's a really you know, hot item and clients are really concerned about disclosing wealth to, to children at a, at a particularly young age. So, you know, with that, you know, we're seeing 
a lot of cases come through, a lot of opportunities to update. So I certainly would encourage people if if they're engaging in this plan, definitely to take make sure that they've checked the statute, even if they've done something as recently as you know six, seven, eight months ago. Uh, but to your point on the on the case law uh, and, and Delaware and Delaware silent trust statute actually came out of this McNeil case that you mentioned. And in McNeil, um, there was a, a beneficiary in the family who was estranged from the family and um, was disinherited by the father, but was still a beneficiary of one of the mother's trusts. And he was being treated disproportionately and not receiving information about the trust. So, of course, he brought suit um, you know, for various things. And one of those things being the trustee's breach of the duty to inform. Uh, he was successful in that suit. And the trustee was surcharged and that the, the trustee was also ordered to distribute one quarter of the trust to the beneficiaries as makeup distributions. So in, in that case, sort of Delaware seminal rule was developed and it was basically the trustee must furnish information on reasonable requests. And in, even in the absence of requests, the trustee must communicate some essential facts. So the existence of the trust, um, significant up, you know, updates to the trust and the court didn't go into a great deal of what essential facts were, but there have been some cases since then um, that really hone in on what that means. One of the cases recently and a few years ago was the deputy case uh, where the court um, basically found that the trustee breached its fiduciary duty by failing to tell the beneficiary of a modification to the trust to add a no contest provision. Um, and you know that that trustee actually modified the trust through the exercise of a of a power of um, of attorney that they were also serving under, uh, but then failed to form the beneficiary. So again, Delaware's default rule is you must inform. So clients should be aware if they're coming to Delaware, say, "I heard Vince talk. Delaware has silent trust. Let's form our Delaware trust." That's all great. If you form a Delaware trust and you don't include the magic language, you'll have a trust just like perhaps your home jurisdiction that requires notice to go to the beneficiaries. We are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors. Financial advice is useless without empathy. At Foster Group, we want to hear your story, your goals, your worries about the future. Only then can we help you feel confident about all aspects of your financial life. Come experience how it feels to be truly cared for at Foster Group. Connect with us at fostergrp.com. Foster Group's written disclosure brochure, as set forth in Part 2A of Form ADV, discusses advisory services and fees, is available at www.fostergrp.com. Okay, let's continue our episode. So we're going to spend a little more time going into the details on how to make the trust silent in our next episode. So I just want to point because that's really an important point. Um, and so you've kind of talked about if a duty to notify applies, what information must be included. And we've talked about the differences in the various states. Is there anything that if you said, if there's a duty to notify this is going to be the case in almost all states or particularly important things? Yeah, good question. I would say existence of the trust status as a beneficiary, significant changes and responding to information upon a reasonable request. That's pretty uniform. And then the obligation to provide 
some sort of accountings at reasonable intervals. States are a little bit different on what you would consider a reasonable interval. I would suggest none of them are are less than annual or, or let you go out more than annually. So you would have to at least disclose annual accounting. Some of them may be more frequent than annual. Um, so I think those are the critical ones. Maybe another thing to hone in on are sort of who are the beneficiaries that are entitled to the notice. And that varies from state to state. If you ask me for some sort of uniformity, we could look to the UTC, which generally current beneficiary. So anybody that's entitled you know, to even discretionary distributions currently. And then assuming those current beneficiary interests terminated, who would then take, so sort of what a lot of people call the presumptive remainderman would be entitled to notice. And then any takers, if the trust were to terminate as of the day you know, in question. So if we're thinking about today, what notice we would have to provide today, act as if the trust terminate today, who would get the assets to the takers. So you've referred to the UTC a couple times. And just for those who don't know what that acronym means, I want you to clarify that. But I also would like you just to take a minute to explain, because earlier in this episode, you mentioned a very accurate statement, which is even under the Uniform Trust Code states very widely. So how can that be? So what's the Uniform Trust Code and why can that still be different from state to state? Yeah, perfect. So UTC, as we've articulated, is Uniform Trust Code. Um, it's a uniform code <clears throat> drafted by some experts, and many states have adopted. I don't know where it's up to. I think it's in the 30 range now. Mary, you may know the exact. So the UTC, now, I would, as Mary has said, there's nothing uniform about the act when it comes to the silent trust statute because all the states have adopted the UTC provision here slightly differently. Um, and what the UTC draft provides is effectively that the fault is, much like McNeil and Delaware, keep a qualified beneficiary reasonably informed. And the qualified beneficiaries are those that I mentioned, which is sort of a uniform currents, those that would take if the currents uh, interest terminated, and then those that would take if the trust terminated as of today. Um, and then the UTC has a laundry list of items that the trustees obligate to provide. So respond to requests, furnish a copy of the trusts and the right to and the right to request info, and provide the name of the trustee, telephone address of the trustee within 60 days of accepting, and then send sending annual reports on request. Those are that's the default rule. The UTC allows the default rules to be eliminated. Um, with the exception of a couple mandatory items. And those mandatory items pretty much prohibit um, the creation of a silent trust if, if the states have adopted this exception. So the exception basically says in the UTC that beneficiaries over the age of 25, their right to the existence of the trust and identity of the trustee and right to request information cannot be eliminated. And you can also not eliminate any trustee's duty to respond to a reasonable request, irrespective of the age of the beneficiary. So what, what differs from state to state is whether they have adopted, one, have they adopted any exception to the default rule? Um, and some that have adopted the exception have changed it and have said, well, no, you can, you can change anything and you can override uh, the default rule, much like you can in Delaware. And then some states have sort of kept 
the limitations that you can override, but you can't override ride these the subset of items. And then some states have somewhere fallen in between those two items. So um, nothing, if, if you're in a state that is a UTC state, I certainly wouldn't rely on looking at the UTC provision, definitely take a, 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 a look at whatever your state's statute is with respect to these issues. So if you're drafting in Nebraska, you look at the specific version of the UTC that was adopted by Nebraska or the same in any state because that is going to be it. And I just kind of wanted to make that point about uniform laws because I always find that kind of amusing that I've done some work with the Uniform Law Commission and it cracks me up that, well, there we create this uniform law that is different in every state that adopts it. So I know that you're you're Delaware and you're knowledgeable on the silent trust statute. You've spoken to that a little bit. Is there anything you might want to talk to? You know, Delaware is a great state to create a trust in, right? It just is. It's got a lot of great trust laws. Is there anything you want to add to the conversation about Delaware's silent trust statute? Yeah, I mean, I, there, there's a number of things. I, I would start with um, just some practical advice here. I'm certainly a big fan of Delaware silent trusts or silent trusts in general, like anything though, if they're used properly. Um, if they're abused, I think that they can actually become a very detrimental tool and actually adversely impact the well-being of beneficiaries. So we get clients all the time, you know, very frequently that would say, well, Vince, let's just, let's create a silent trust for 50 years and uh, we'll tell them when they reach 55 or 60. And I, I think that's, I usually typically tell those clients, why? Why are we even creating a trust then? We're not gonna tell them about the trust. Are we practically really gonna be able to make distributions to the beneficiary? Um, and at what point um, are these beneficiaries gonna be educated on you know, being good stewards and responsible stewards of inherited wealth? So I always tell my clients, look, this is used as a tool to help you in your process of educating young children to become good stewards of their wealth. And, you know, do they need to know at 18 that they have $200 million in a trust? Probably not. But do they need to know before 55? Probably, unless there's substance abuse or other issues where, you know, having knowledge may be more harmful to them than, than actual knowledge. But I, I tell the clients, look, we should have a plan in place really to educate the next generation, get them prepared for this wealth. Because the last thing you want is a they get noticed when they're 55 and then they explain how they would have lived their life completely differently. And then they're upset. And then you have a really unhappy 55 year old. Maybe things go off the rails at that point, um, which is no, no less of an issue than things going off the rails at, at 20 um, for most families. So I, I would, I'd certainly focus on that. Um, you know, that, that sort of practical piece of if we're going to use Delaware, you know, for a silent trust and, and putting a reasonable period of time in conjunction with a plan to get the beneficiaries equipped to receive this information along the way. I think you have a concept that is referred to as designated representative. Can you explain what that is? Yeah. So um, and in some states, this you might hear this called as a surrogate. In Delaware, it's a designated representative, but it's the same concept. So um, you know, as this has evolved over the years, and I would tell you, this is a 
fairly new concept in Delaware. Silent trusts have been around in Delaware for many years, but the designated representative statute came later. So what was happening a lot is these silent trusts were being created and the trustees were saying, well, who do we give information to? What do we do with a silent trust? So this designated representative or surrogate concept was put in place. And in Delaware, what the designated representative does is that person stands in the shoes of the beneficiaries. So the trustee is providing the designated representative with notice. So the account statements, any significant changes. And that provides someone to police what the trustee is doing or what the other fiduciaries are doing. So that designated representative has the ability to bring suit on behalf of the beneficiary or take any other actions on behalf of the beneficiary. So it, it gives fiduciaries comfort knowing that they can disclose the information to someone and that has you know, varying effects, one of which is maybe starting to run into the statute of limitations with respect to any claims that may be made against the trustee. Um, so it's a very important role. Um, I would say pretty much all trusts now that are drafted as silent trusts, at least all the ones we draft, do have a designated representative concept baked into them. And I would tell you, at least most institutional trustees would require a designated representative to be serving in order to even accept the trusteeship. Very rarely will I see a trustee willing to accept a silent trust without a designated representative appointed um, you know, for the reasons I explained. So you mentioned the concept of like we have the, how long are we going to keep this trust silent? So generally, I just want to ask about beneficiary safeguards. Yeah, so um, you know the term is important, obviously for beneficiaries, and then the safeguard really is this designated representative, and it's important that they serve. I think serve as a fiduciary for the beneficiaries. Delaware law makes them a fiduciary. You can in Delaware, and you can't do this in all states, but in Delaware, you can override um, the fact that the designated representative is a fiduciary and, and have them serve in a non-fiduciary capacity. Uh, but I think most people are drafting it so they serve in a fiduciary capacity. So is there anything else you want to add today? No, I think we've covered the, the main things. Um, again, I'd, I'd hit home on this is like any tool, use it the right way. And it, I think it's, it's a very helpful tool in the toolbox of getting the next generation properly equipped to handle significant wealth and knowledge about significant wealth. But if used the wrong way, um, it can be very detrimental. Uh, I think we'll talk about in the next session too, that caution should be exercised in drafting and how the designated representatives even point, it could have significant impact. It could have significant state state income tax issues could be created if not drafted properly, um, and where you could have some various practical issues, which we'll talk about as well in the next session. Well, I really appreciate you participating in this episode today, and I do look forward to our next episode where we will talk about both, if you have a trust that's not silent, what you can do to make it silent, and some drafting tips for the silent trust. As we reach the end of today's episode, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Foster Group, Veterans Victory, Carson Private Client. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode and stay tuned for our weekly releases. The Doug and Birch Legal Visionaries podcast is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. 
Use of the Duggan Birch Legal Visionaries podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Duggan Birch Legal Visionaries podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice. And you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have. Ahura Media Production.